scientists with more than 5 million employees and the nascent field of positive psychology, where as a result of this field's emergence, many of the world's best minds are now studying what's right with people. Let's start by looking at the impact of positive emotions or bucket filling in our lives. A landmark 2001, what's now known as the Nunn Study, explored the relationship between positive emotions early on in life and our overall longevity. The researchers found a group of 180 nuns, and it's important to point out that nuns serve as a pretty good basis for an experiment because they've lived in a much more controlled environment, at least than I have throughout my life. And these 180 nuns had penned handwritten autobiographies in their early 20s. So the researchers went back and scored these autobiographies for positive emotional content and divided the nuns into groups with more positive emotions and lower positive emotions. Then they compared the positive emotions early on in life to mortality rates six decades later. So the nuns are now between the age of 75 and 95. What did they learn? Well, in the group of nuns with lower positive emotions, 10 were alive at the time of study. In the group with more positive emotions, 25 were alive at the time of study. And when you look across the entire group of 180, the nuns with more positive emotions lived about 10 years longer on average. Now, if you compare this to other major national epidemics that we hear about in the news every day, such as smoking, which has been shown to cut about 10 years off our life, or obesity, which is somewhere between seven and 10, it appears that our overall balance of positive versus negative emotions might be just as important. And fortunately for all of us, increasing the levels of positive emotions in our lives is nowhere near as hard as putting off a lot of weight or stopping smoking. It just requires a little bit of effort, and it all starts in the moment. According to Daniel Kahneman, who's one of Gallup's senior scientists that I work with and a Nobel Prize-winning psychologist at Princeton, we experience approximately 20,000 waking moments every single day. Each one lasts about three seconds, give or take. And as I alluded to before, if you think about any memory that's really stuck in your mind over some period of time, my hunch is that it's either more positive or more negative, maybe even very positive or very negative. The neutral moments don't seem to stick, and I'm not sure that they matter that much. To bring this to life, imagine the following scenario. Let's say that you walk into work in the morning and the receptionist greets you with a smile. And not only does he greet you with a smile, he greets you by name. And he calls you by the name you like to be called by, not the name that's on your payroll form so many people mistakenly call you by. So at that point, you've had one positive interaction, zero negative interactions. Then you round the corner to the elevator, and the last minute, Norm reaches out from inside and stops the door for you. That's two positives, zero negatives. You go on up and you sit down at your desk. You log on to your computer and email. You notice the second note down in your inbox is from Mark. Mark's one of your colleagues who's just consistently whining, complaining, and spreading his paranoia all around the office. But you're working with Mark on a project, so you have to open the note. You have no choice. As you might have expected, he's complaining about his long commute into work and his unfair share of the workload. So now you're at two to one. You make a good decision here, and you decide to get up and grab a cup of coffee instead of typing back to Mark and starting a little cycle of negativity online when negative emotions are pretty contagious, and that even starts on email nowadays. When you're in the break room, you bump into Catherine. Catherine's one of your best friends from work, and she ends up asking you about how your weekend went, how your kids are doing. 
So this time with a good friend, you lose track of time in that moment, and that fills your bucket a bit. So you're at three positives and one negative at this point. The only problem is you did lose track of time. And you're now five minutes late to a meeting that your boss had called a week before. So as you race down the hall, you're thinking to yourself, I'm never late. I'm, almost, I'm always early. I assume they'll forgive me. And then you go, as you walk in and sit down, just in case they don't, you say, I'm so sorry for being late. You know it won't happen again. You sit down and take your seat. Then your boss decides to open up the meeting by saying, now that everyone finally decided to show up, I guess we can go ahead and get started. So you're at three positives and two negatives, and that one just hit you like a brick. You knew you were late, your boss knew you were late, everyone in the room knew you were late, and yet he felt the need to point it out again. So overall, you're at three positives and two negatives. I guess it's more positives than negatives. But it's probably not good enough. In a 1992 book titled, Why Marriages Succeed or Fail, John Gottman hypothesized that in marriages or loving relationships, if couples have more than five positives for every one negative, they would stay together. If they were below that line and moved towards one-to-one, -one, Gottman predicted the couples would cascade to divorce, in his own words. And in one of the best experiments that I've ever followed or read about, he decided to put this to the test in 1992. Gottman recruited 700 newlywed couples. He brought them into his laboratory and observed their conversations for 15 minutes. And then his team went back and scored these interactions. And based on that five to one ratio, they made a prediction about whether the couple would stay together or be divorced 10 years later. When Gottman followed up in 2002, they discovered that their predictions were accurate 94% of the time. So 19 out of 20 times, they were able to predict marriage versus divorce based on watching a 15-minute conversation with a couple. So it's pretty clear to me that these interaction ratios have profound implications, not only for marriages or loving relationships, but for interpersonal relations in general. And it looks like they apply in the workplace as well. Dr. Barbara Fredrickson at Michigan has conducted a lot of research on this topic lately. And to really oversimplify some of her research about positive to negative ratios in the workplace, she's finding that in organizations, when work teams have more than three positives for every one negative, they're significantly more productive and have higher customer satisfaction scores than work teams who are below that three to one line. So it appears that that might be the magic line within organizations. Now, Fredrickson also found something else in her recent research that's very important to point out, and that is the existence of what looks like an upper limit at 13 positives for every one negative. So once people hit 13 to one, things might start to go downhill. And that confirmed a few of my suspicions where by no means would the research that I've studied indicate that we should be as positive as we possibly can. I think we all know that, that blind positivity, some people call it a Pollyanna approach, not only might it take productivity downhill, but I find it kind of annoying. I'm not sure about you. <laughs> so there's a reason why we're talking about ratios. Positive emotions have to be grounded in reality. And sometimes that negative emotion serves as an anchor to keep us in the here and now so things really do have meaning and they're sincere. Fredrickson's conducted some other research recently where she started to look at what's worse, a negative comment or an insincere positive. So if it's directly negative, or a positive comment that lacks sincerity, which one's more damaging? And I might have guessed that just a downright negative comment would be the worst. Well, I would have been wrong. 
it appears that an insincere positive comment is much worse than a direct negative remark. I'd like to try something out here. I'd like to see a show of hands if you're receiving too much recognition in your job today. <laughs> An all-out laugh. You know, once in a while I'll ask the question, do you know people who are receiving too much recognition at work? And I'll see a few hands go up here and there. But even though we might think that some people receive too much recognition, it's flat out not happening. According to a poll that we conducted last year, 65% of Americans have received no workplace recognition in the last year. 65% have received no recognition in an entire year. What happens as a result? Well, we've surveyed more than 5 million employees on this topic across 40 countries and more than 30 industries. And what we find is that people who do receive regular recognition and praise, to start with, they are less likely to leave the organization, so turnover goes down. Individuals who receive regular recognition and praise have higher employee engagement scores, higher customer satisfaction scores. In manufacturing environments, individuals who receive regular recognition and praise have better safety records. And most importantly, when people get regular recognition and praise, they're just more productive on a day-to-day -day basis. And nowhere is this more pronounced than in customer-facing roles. We conducted a study with a large telecommunications company a few years ago and looked at their entire customer service force and found seven customer service representatives who satisfied, engaged, and retained every single customer they spoke with throughout the duration of our study. So when people are calling into a long-distance carrier, most of the time they want to shut off their service, they want a better rate plan. To engage every customer is remarkable. So they, that shows how a few positive interactions...